3: On this episode of Missing the Point, we sit down with Fox Sports, NFL, and NCAA football rules analyst and former NFL VP of officiating Dean Blandino on what it's like to be an official, an inside look at some of the biggest plays in the last 20 years, the emergence of Sarah Thomas as the first female referee in the NFL, and yes, we ask about the Dez Bryant play. But first, this episode is being brought to you by Boxo Crafts. Boxo is an arts and crafts focused kids subscription box. Boxo is a parent-run company that combines creativity and convenience in one monthly package, delivered right to your door. Boxo's premier box, Boxo Holidays, contains four separate art projects to get you and your family into the holiday spirit. Whether it's Halloween, Hanukkah, or Easter, they've got you covered with holiday fun. Boxo, we can't wait to see you create. Check out boxocrafts.com and exclusively to our listeners, enter the promo code MTP for 15% off your first order. That's B-O-X-O-Crafts.com, promo code MTP. Missing the Point is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show, consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. And now, this is Missing the Point. But it's all relative.
4: Welcome, everyone, to episode 19 of the MTP podcast. I am your host, Michael Marcangelo, as always, joined alongside the real BK Bob Kelly and Broadway Joe Malkin. And today we have an extraordinary guest. He is the former head of officiating for the XFL. He previously served as the NFL's vice president of officiating from 2013 to 2017. He's currently an analyst, a rules analyst for the NFL and NCAA on Fox. And most importantly, He's a stand-up comedian. We have Mr. <laughs> Dean Blandino. Dean, thank you so much for joining the show. And uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Former stand-up comedian. I don't do stand-up <laughs> anymore. But uh, sometimes when I talk about officiating, maybe. But yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are
4: you
0: guys doing? Doing very well.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we we have a lot of questions that that we want to kind of ask you and and topics to to go over. And I think, you know, you have been, whether you know it or not, I don't, I don't mean to get weird. You have been a a very, Integral force of our lives for the last probably twenty seven years since you were an intern in the in, in the NFL and then you you know took up the instant replay. So I I guess I want to ask first and foremost what got you interested in joining the NFL as an intern?
1: Yeah, well, I, I didn't have any officiating experience. It wasn't something that I was interested in. I, I played football, loved the sport, loved all sports, baseball, hockey, basketball, and. Um, I grew up in New York. I I went to school in New York and like all the major right professional sports have an office in New York City and uh, had a communications degree, had a background in in TV production, wasn't sure what I wanted to do with that. And I just took a shot in the dark and sent my resume to the NFL and Major League Baseball and NHL. And and, uh, the NFL called. They had a couple of internships available. And I went in and interviewed for a few of them. And one was in officiating and um, They uh, they called me and offered me the position. I was like, yeah, definitely. And uh, and then kind of just went from there. Started learning officiating, um, being an intern, and it just my career kind of progressed from from that point.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would, I guess, I guess so because typically you don't get you don't land a a career with one of the one of the most popular now the most popular uh, you know sports out there. And you've been involved in football obviously since since 1993. Um, Obviously, you know. I'm a huge wrestling fan. I think you've been at a couple of wrestling shows as well. You've been part of the XFL. What would you say some of the differences are between what you've done in the NFL and what you were building in the XFL?
1: Yeah. I mean, the XFL was so, it was such an amazing experience. I still get upset when I talk about it because of what happened, you know, it was doing so well. And obviously how do you prepare for, for a pandemic, but what was so cool about the XFL was the ability to start fresh and just create something, and look at the rules from a different perspective. Um, have the ability to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and be able to to shoot what's happening in the video in the replay booth and hear what the officials are saying and all those things. So, the XFL—I mean, I started it from the NFL, and and that's always going to be you know a a big part of my career, and, and I'll always have a, a soft spot in my heart for the NFL, but. The XFL was such a cool experience, and uh, I'm hopeful that um, they're going to come back in the spring of 22, and uh, you know, with with Danny Garcia and The Rock, um, Dwayne yep. Johnson
4: involved. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, honestly, like when I heard that The Rock and and uh, and Danny bought that, my first thought was, I hope that they keep what was happening this past season yeah. you know, the same because you know the first version of the XFL was was so gimmicky. It was WWF football, right? Now it it felt like they were kind of getting things right and they were, they were taking aspects of football that we like from the, from the NFL and bringing it on and presenting it in a whole different way. I loved, I know everyone else on the show did. I loved the fact that you could hear the coaches conversations with with the quarterback. Like that's, that's something that I I wish that they would do in the NFL. Are there anything, is there anything that you think that the, uh, that the NFL will take away from XFL 2.0 this time?
1: Yeah, well, I, they definitely have discussed different different things because of how how well received some of that XFL stuff was. So you know, I know they talked about the XFL kickoff, um, and that was you know what made that such a, a good rule is that you know you're trying to promote kick returns but keep it a safe play, and that's what the XFL kickoff did. And the NFL, you know, you've, we've seen it; they've tweaked the kickoff so many times in so many different ways. So I think that for sure will be will be discussed in the future and, and definitely the kind of the transparency and then the ability to hear and see what's happening behind the scenes. I don't know if the NFL will go that far. You're talking about an established league. Every, every club is very uh, you know, they're, they're very protective of their own stuff. And, and so there are rules in place to prevent some of that, but I, but I think the NFL will, will definitely look at things like the kickoff more of that transparency because People loved it, and, and it was fun even being a part of it. It was fun to watch that reaction um, because when have fans ever been, like, excited about something officiated-related? Ne- never. Yeah, we right. were getting like, good feedback about officiating, other than you guys because you guys <laughs> all about officiating. But
0: uh, Dean, I've always been a big fan of, of officials and officiating, and, and one of the g- things I kind of preached to these guys was humanizing uh, officiating which I I think really has been something that the NFL and definitely with the XFL and some of these other leagues and the way uh, someone like you interacts with people on social media is really humanizing the game or the profession of of officiating in in the NFL. But one thing that really um, interests me is how far the NFL has come since the re-implication of, of replay in 1999. And it, it went away from the game in 1991 and they had it for about six years. And it, it really changed the way the game happened. And and you were one of those pioneers that really was, was put in charge of, of re-implementing replay in 99. And and so many things have changed in the, in the last 22, 23 years. Do you think that the league is going in the correct direction in terms of officiating uh, when you yeah. look at how much it has changed?
1: You know, it is that's a really good question. And it's just, we've seen the evolution of replay. And like you mentioned the old system, I mean, 1986 to 1991, I, I wasn't at the NFL at that time, but that system was, I mean, if you can remember two VCRs so it was basically you were you had two VCRs recording and if you wanted to look at something you had to press stop rewind let the other one record so imagine trying to review calls with two VCRs how long it would take there were unlimited stoppages so that system went away and and I you know when I got to the NFL and the technology started to change, you know, the internet, um, digital video, right? You know, we can watch video wherever we're on a, we're on a zoom call right now, right? In 1995, we, you know, we didn't know what zoom was, but the technology continued to improve where we said, okay, it's all digital. It's, it's more seamless. We're basically just recording the program feed. What everybody watches at home, we're recording it. And we're just making marking points on it. And I, with a touch screen, I can access any one of those points on the video immediately. So that made a lot of sense because now um, it wasn't going to take, you know, four or five minutes to review a play. But to your question, where are we going, right? The technology continues to improve. And the calls we were looking at in 1999, remember, that was standard definition. Um, now we have high def. We've mm-hmm. got all- super slow-mo. So we're seeing more things than we could ever see back then. And what does that mean? It means we're, we're reviewing more calls. We're overturning more calls. So where do you draw the line and keep that balance between the on-field officials officiating the game and then letting technology help, but not be, you know, too intrusive. And I think that's going to be a challenge for the NFL, for college football for any professional sports league is maintaining that balance because the technology is great and we want to get the calls, right. But do you want to watch a football game where every time we're waiting for somebody upstairs to give a thumbs up or thumbs down, like who wants to watch that? So I think it's going to be a challenge for the NFL to maintain that balance. The
0: the way it has progressed, we've seen, um, we, we've seen the ability to replay PIs. We've seen then we saw that retracted and we've seen that a lot over the years where there's the, you're able to review something then not able to review something. And I think one of the best things um, that was implemented was making a call and then going back and looking at it instead of not making a call. So we're out at the one yard line, a pylon goes down, we'll call it a touchdown and we'll see what it was. Yeah. And I feel like that makes the process faster. Is, is that some, is, is that what you were aiming for?
1: Yeah, we were looking at initially when we put the system in, they wanted to keep it limited. That's why the coaches challenge system went in. Whereas before it was just replay official could stop the game like college, right? So they wanted to keep it limited coaches challenge for everything outside two minutes, but inside two minutes to prevent a team from not having a timeout not being able to fix a big play or to manipulate the clock. um, You had the replay official. Then we started to look at, okay, um, you know, scoring plays, the clock is stopped every, you know, there's no, there's no reason where the team could, could create an advantage that way. Um, let's make that an automatic review, big play, sure. scoring plays, turnovers. Let's take that off the coach's plate. They can keep their challenges hopefully for the other stuff and let replay just review it. Like you said, Ruling on the field is a touchdown. It's at the pylon. Replay can look at it quickly. Yeah, it's a score. Confirm it. Let's move on. If it's not, then they'll stop the game and look at it. So that was part of the discussion to to make sure we get those big plays right, scoring plays and turnovers, and and give the coaches a little more, you know, flexibility with their challenges.
2: So with the implementation of how advanced technology has gotten with, you know, slow-mo, everything like that, what's the determination of where, You know, you may think you see something, but you had to slow that tape down to, you know, 18th the time, 130th the time. Where's that determination of like, okay, listen, we've been looking at this play for 15 minutes and, and we still don't know what's right, what's wrong. Where's that determination being made? Is that in the booth or is that the refs on the field?
1: Yeah, that's in the booth. And that's really the basic concept of replay. When we put it back in, we said, okay, We're going to start with the call in the field is correct. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going to start. We're not starting, we don't know. We're starting, it's correct. And we have to see indisputable visual evidence, clear and obvious evidence that it's incorrect. And to your point, if we're looking at this for 10 minutes and we're going super slow mo and we're looking at four or five different angles and trying to piece them together, is that indisputable, right? Is that clear and obvious? Probably not. We we want the reversals, the overturns, to jump out where you go. There it is, clear as day. Ball Mm -hmm. hit the ground. Mm -hmm. Everybody can see that. And if you know, if you remember Mike Holmgren, who who coached the Packers and coached um, the Seahawks, he you know in our meetings back in the late nineties, you know he he said it was a fifty guy in a bar standard. Like if you can get fifty guys in a bar to agree on on something, then that's obvious, right? So. That was kind of that was kind of what we went with. And, and I think that's the challenge with the better technology. Are we going to become more technical and, and become less clear and obvious standard and more, you know, with this overly technical tech, you know, review process? And I think that's one of the you know, I know it's one of the concerns that I have going forward.
4: Yeah, and 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 you know, kind of following up on that, I know that, you know, with the competition committee in the NFL and all the coaches, right, they want to get the rules right and have everything by the book. So I guess my question, based like on your experience, would they rather have the officials make the call on the field and stand by it? Or would they rather have it go to the technological aspect and and look at the replay and understand exactly what happened?
1: Well, I think they'd they they'd rather have the on-field ruling, the, maintain the integrity of that, the yep. official rule to catch. And we got to see 100 percent that it's not a catch in order to overturn. That's always been the philosophy. And I think that allows you to achieve greater consistency. Whereas if you just say, hey, you don't know what the ruling is and you're going to look at it. Well, maybe this guy says it's a catch. This guy says it's incomplete. And then we get into less consistency. So I think that's where the competition committee um, has been and will continue to be. But again, as technology gets better, um, I think I think what was wasn't clear and obvious 10 years ago has become clear and obvious and yeah. i think that's part of the part of the deal
4: i have to give you a disclaimer dean Um uh, you have a, a resident cowboy fan on the screen with you and and i'm I'm, I'm telling you this because you said the word catch well, i was
1: gonna say that, that listen that you guys are all boston right this is well, i'm looking at patriots i'm looking at celtics
4: that is i mean that is a story that
1: could take a long time and, <laughs> and it is
4: probably yeah, that's, that's probably better fit for a therapist's couch. But what I, what I will say is you said the word catch three times in that last answer. So I'm going to have to defer.
1: Does that give you a little,
4: I'm going to have to defer to, to Bobby, the resident cowboy fan
2: so that he can ask his question. So, go. so, so that leads me to my question is if there is something where it does become a question where maybe everyone in that replay booth is questioning, Oh, that was a catch. I don't know what play I could be talking about. Maybe, no, you know, Des caught no it. No one knows. But so, like, is that something where when you are... So let's say it does go to the booth. The entire booth is split on a decision. Is that something that you guys revisit that rule at a later date? Or, or is it something where it's like, okay, that's the rule on the book. That's what it is at this point. Because, you know, in my opinion, Dez caught it. But as soon as I saw the play actually happened, I was like, okay... I know that's getting overturned. I know he didn't catch that by the NFL book. Yeah. I know he didn't catch it.
1: Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And and look, and if we're split in the booth or, you know, the referee and, and whoever's making those decisions, if you're split, then that typically means you don't have enough to overturn it. Right. And we always look right. The catch rule, the catch rule has been, you know, debated and an issue for yeah. a long, long time because there is a subjective element and just a little background on the desk play. I mean, I'm in the NFL command center. Gene Steratore, who works for CBS now, he's the referee. The play happens. First of all, I'm going, all right, it's fourth and two. Just give it to DeMarco Murray. Let him get a first down. (laughs) (laughs) right? Instead, I see the ball in the air. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a big play. (laughs) I see Dez go down. I see the ball pop and i go all right and i'm watching i'm watching the green bay sideline and i'm almost like praying that mccarthy doesn't challenge Because I know it's going to be controversial either way. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the red flag came out, I literally said to the room, I was like, just be ready because the SHIT is about to hit the fan. (laughs) And and Gene and I talked about it. We went through it and there was no doubt in our mind. If there was any doubt in my mind that by the rule, it was it was not uh, you know, it was still a catch we wouldn't have changed it and you know we went through the steps and the rule the ball hit the ground it came loose you know the football move didn't matter at that time and it was an incomplete pass but but that rule because there were there were plays that looked like catches but by the rule they weren't the competition committee continued to look at it and tweak mm-hmm. cuz what we want you know is we want everybody to understand the rule we don't want people to say well I don't that doesn't make any sense and you always try to you know, there has to be some level of common sense, you know, attached to it. So there's always that part of it in those conversations. And we'll still talk about catch no catch plays, you know, forever.
0: So we, we um as you mentioned, you see the, the Red Sox, Boston, you know, the Patriots stuff, the stuff behind Bobby there. I think along the same lines, we've had so many plays like that through our fandom, through our lives and your time with the NFL. And I know Mike's going to bring it up, so I'm just going to bring it up now. We've had the <laughs> the, the fail, Mary. We've had the Des catch. And back when you were a replay official back in the NFL, you weren't at this game. You weren't doing this game. But the snowball between the Patriots and the Raiders, this is one of the most controversial calls in the last 20 years that literally, in our minds, sparked a dynasty. What by rule, I, I, I kind of defer to Bobby again on this by rule. The Tom Brady uh, tuck rule was not a fumble by rule in the NFL. What in your mind uh, do you, would you have said that was now and back then? Well
1: yeah, back then it was pretty straightforward. It, it was a pass based on the rule at the time. Once you started the hand coming forward, it was literally a pass until you actually brought it all the way back into your body. And mm-hmm. we know that's what, what Tom was trying to do, but he didn't get it all the way back into his body. Uh, you know Woodson hits it, ball comes out and like you said, and I agree, right if if that's rule they fumble and stays a fumble, who knows if the Patriots go on to do to be the dynasty that they right. were? And or and, and and I say were. I'm sorry. I don't. I didn't mean <laughs> no, it's okay. We've done the same thing. Trust know, me. Dean is definitely
4: like, were. Definitely yeah, were.
1: <laughs> I, I've said that in the past, and, and and they've always proved me wrong. But now it feels different, though. You know. Yeah. But feels right. It, it's it Doesn't was wrong. It was a pass at that time under hmm. the current rule, which was changed. It would be a fumble. Um and uh, and we you know and to, to think about the greatness of of Tom Brady. I mean. That was 19 what was it 2001 2000 yep. 2001 and we just had a pass fumble play last night. Yep. I mean, insane he's still playing at such a high level.
0: Yeah, and and just a a follow up to that because that in, involved Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and as Boston fans and you know kind of a n- New England flavor on this show, how many and, and I don't need we don't need an exact obviously, but how many times over the last 22 years have you seen rules altered or changed because of, I'll give you three names, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, it's quite a few times. And in the thing about the Patriots, right. And I'm sure you guys know it and it's real. I mean, the Patriots were, were, you know, they they were winning and they were dominating and they were doing things that you hadn't seen. And, and the other teams around the league, you know what, it's all the gates, right. You had spy gate. And then you yep. had the fleet gate and you had all these other things, and you know, so you think about the rules that were changed, what 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 is again the greatness that is Bill Belichick as a football coach is he understands the rules to a degree that most coaches don't. And I used to have great conversations with him, weekly conversations during the season, not just about the Patriots games but about other games and rules and things and what bill you know bill it wasn't you're not cheating but you're going to try to gain an advantage based on the rule and you're going to try to do things to give your team a a leg up and that's what he did and uh you know we saw the deal with the timing with with against the jets where they took the delay a game and then the false start and then you know kind of then the titans did it and and so there's been a bunch of those that that have been involved with the Patriots and and also with with Peyton Manning. Um and and again, that just goes to Coach Belichick. He's he's just when it comes to the entire picture, you know, the football aspect, the coaching, the 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 general manager, the personnel and the officiating in rules, he 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 knew it all. And that's what made, you know, him makes him so great and made the team so great. Made him dangerous, too,
0: for you guys. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, no question. And and I joked with him. I I asked him, hey, you should you should get on the competition committee. He's like, no, I don't want to, you know, because a lot of people on the committee <laughs> just complain about, about the Patriots.
2: And he knows no one would get away with anything ever again if That's he joined right. that competition committee. He'd be like, all right, nope, we can't cause
0: Harbaugh tried to do it in Baltimore a few years ago, which is still one of my most frustrating experiences, even yep. though bill was living in John's head rent free for a little while, but the, the whole eligible ineligible receiver, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, that, that was just, uh, it was frustrating to watch as a fan too. Cause you don't know what the heck's going on. And if
2: on. Ray will try to do it right back to him again. Yeah. Yep. Nice
4: I think, life. you know, for for us, like the, the the Belichick that we see as fans, right, is a very like rigid. You know, he grunts, he snorts. Obviously, like I, he's different with, with with you. And I was reading an article, I think, from back in like 2005 when he actually spoke with your colleague Mike Pereira in, in in the back, and and he said, you know, I'm realizing one thing: you never win, do you? Like you have 16 losers every week. As a coach, as fans, as players, either you win or you lose. You feel the euphoria or the catastrophic defeat. For referees and for people in your in your position, what was it like knowing that no matter what, this is going to be a wrestling term? You were walking out of that game as a heel.
1: Yeah, no question. And and that and and Bill, you know, said that to Mike Pereira. that he, and like you said, you're going to teams. They they know, and you talk to, the, to to people at teams and the facility, the building feels different after a win yeah. than it does after a loss. Well, in officiating, it's always the same. And you're always just putting out fires and there there are no wins and losses. And it just always feels like a a loss because a win for a win for officiating for an entire would be an entire week of NFL football without one question about the officiating. Right. And that never happens. right? that's just Impossible. impossible. So you're trying to minimize the damage. And when you talk to a coach, you know, I talk to coaches on Sunday night, Monday morning. It's it's not they're not calling you. To tell you how amazing the crew was and how great a call the side judge made in the third quarter. And, and there were, and those are the ones that stand out in my, you know, time as head of the, the head of the department, you know, there were a handful of times where a coach called just to say how, how well the crew did and those kind of stand out. But, but, you know, that's the thing in officiating, but you know, that going in, you're not, if you, if you want a profession where you're going to get a lot of pats on the back, then don't go into officiating. You're not. It's not going to happen.
4: <laughs> I, I know that you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you know you, you did hang up the microphone. You're no longer a stand-up comedian. But I, you know, we're just tying into this question:
1: sure.
4: what's what's worse? Like what what feels worse? Being booed by seventy thousand people for overturning a <laughs> touchdown, or uh, telling a joke and nobody laughing?
1: Not, it's not even close. Telling a joke and having it just completely bomb. Is a million times worse. It's a million. <laughs> it's more personal. It's yep. more, and I and 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 I did stand up for like ten years, and there were times where you would just whether it's an audience or whether the joke just I didn't deliver it, and it was just crickets. And it's the loneliest feeling in the world. And whereas you know I get people, you could go on my Twitter feed, and there's people that are just they hate hate me like legit. Never met me never talk to me, but legit hate me and tweet really just awful things. And that's like, all right, whatever. Like, I don't care, but, but I'll, I can remember every time a joke didn't go over and I'm, and I still, I'm like, that was a funny joke.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dean, I have the same problem with my wife. Honestly, I do. They, They never land. You know, and, and you were you were doing stand-up comedy in New York City, so it's not like you were doing it, you know, uh, some in some small town. These people were really expecting a lot. So you had a tough crowd to begin with, but you do in the NFL as well. And um, kind of going off of, of that uh, a little bit, and um, sorry, I just lost my spot there, but uh, I want to change gears because this is a question that jumped out at me. And, Mike, I'm sorry if I jump on you here, but. Um, Why stop now, dude? Yeah, I I know. I I I've been doing it. I've been doing it for twelve years. I might as well continue to do it. Um, this has really stuck out in my mind. Um, as Mike mentioned, your your colleague, you and Mike Pereira do do last call every week. And one thing that stuck out to me, uh, today was protecting your players and protecting players at every level. And we all know that this is very important. Um, what what have you guys really tried to implement in the college and the NFL game to make that uniform across the board to protect players
1: yeah it's it's always when we talk about making rules changes discussing rules you, there's a couple of things you look at and the first one is always player safety that, that's number one then you look at like competitive fairness and then you look at consistency in officiating can the officials consistently officiate this rule so when it comes to player safety and I've like, I started the NFL in 1994 and the rules were, were much different. You didn't have all of the protections for defenseless players that we have today. Um, you know, it was really just helmet to helmet, and nothing else. Now, you know, forcible contact to the head neck area to a defenseless player. Now you have the targeting rule in, in, in college where you have the disqualification. So I think, you know, both college and the NFL have done a really good job, um, Formulating these rules, expanding them, because what we know now about head injuries and concussions and their effects, you know, without without those protections and without those rules, you know, we won't have a game. We, we no. won't have professional football. We won't even have college football um, if we don't protect our players and uh, and continue to keep the game and even have that trickle down to the lower leagues and peewee football and all that, because that's where you get your, that's kind of your lifeblood. And if parents don't want kids to play tackle football, um, that will eventually trickle up and impact the game 20, 25 years from now. So um, it was always a big thing for us. It continues to be. And, uh, and it's the number one priority is that player safety.
2: So that, that kind of goes into another question I have when it comes to instant replay, kind of partnered into that. Is that something that the NFL has looked at? I know uh, when Andy Dalton got hit a couple weeks ago, they did an instant replay to see if someone would get ejected. But the case may be, is that something where the NFL is almost looking to go down an NBA path where they start reviewing these personal fouls on a case by case basis every time they happen to protect that safety?
1: Yeah, no, it's no, it's a good question because, and that's something when you know we had talked for years with the competition committee about about things like you know the pass interference rule that they implemented last year and didn't work out but it was you know when are we going to look at some of these player safety fouls and make those reviewable like the mm-hmm. targeting in college and there were a lot of clubs clubs that 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 had proposed rules changes so i think that is i think that's going to happen at some point in the nfl i think again the challenge is keeping it limited uh, you know, because if, again, if, you, if you're going to review every foul and there are a lot of player safety fouls, that could be a problem. But I think if you limit it to maybe defenseless player protection, because, again, the game is so fast and it happens so quickly. And the on-field official, you know, you want to protect the player. So it's close. Maybe the contact was to the head neck area. The official throws the flag and then you get the super slow-mo replay that shows, well, it was actually in the chest. That's 15 yards and, and a big deal to that team. So I think it is going to happen at some point. Some of these player safety fouls will be reviewable, but again, it's just making sure that it's not too intrusive and we don't have too many stoppages during the game.
2: Right. And,
4: and along that same line, I, I, I was reading an, an article about, um, about something, a project that you were doing that would pretty much create a uniformed, uh, officiating approach from peewees to high school, to college. How far off do you think we are from that happening? Because I do see that there's 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 definitely a difference between obviously Pee-Wee and then elementary school and, and you know high school football. Yeah. And then there's that same leap between the NCAA and the NFL. So how far away from from that from that uniformed approach?
1: Well, I think one of the things we're looking for is trying to find you know a connector between even just high school football, college football, and the NFL. And then we did have a meeting. 2 years ago with representatives from all groups just to talk about player safety rules. Now I don't think I don't think because the athletes are different that you can have the same set of rules for high school, college and NFL, right? The NFL athlete is elite and yep. high school, right? You know, we I'm sure we all played high school football. <laughs> us, like I played play, high
2: school football. Right?
1: It? <laughs> so it's a different deal. And and so I think you have to take that into consideration. Even college, right? Division three is much different than Ohio State and Clemson. But I think if you can look at just whether it's just defenseless player protection or if it's low blocks, if you can if you can try to create just some some, you know, continuity um, across the board, I think that helps players develop. It helps coaches that we're coaching the same technique. And as the player jumps from, you know, one level to the next, they don't have to to learn, learn a lot. One of the changes, just to give you an example, was the chop block rule, right? The high school and, and, and colleges had eliminated the chop block rule for a long time on, on running plays. It was still legal in, in the NFL. And what we saw was defensive players who had never had to, to protect themselves from a chop block because it was illegal. Now get to the NFL and now they're getting high load and we're seeing injuries because they don't know how to play it. And that was one of the changes we made to say, you know what, we got to get rid of all high load blocks, whether it's a run, pass or kick, because that's going to protect the players. And they're going to have that familiarity with the rule throughout their entire career. And then that's just one example. Um, and I think I think all all those groups need to get together. And, uh, and have that discussion, just, you know, keep that conversation going.
4: I, I completely agree. And I think that right now it would be hard, like you said, to follow the rule, you know, letter by letter because of the differences in athletes. But just the spirit of the rule is something that you can kind of try to enforce. It sounds like that's what, what you're talking about. A, a few things that I wanted to uh, kind of go through now about the present day of football, because we've talked a little bit about your past and obviously all of your list of accomplishments. You know, there was something that you said on last week. So I think it's week 10 of Last Call with Mike Pereira, the show that you do. You mentioned, I think he went off on uh, kind of like a little bit of a rant. He said he was going to about uh, bad calls. And you said that you're just thankful to be in a position to critique good or bad calls. So back in July or back in June, how optimistic were you that there was going to be an NFL season? And based on what you've seen so far, like how, how well have they done?
1: Yeah, i I mean I've said this before I think they the NFL and every everyone involved has done an amazing job to think that we' we've got through 11 weeks and and you know there was a point in July and August when cases were spiking and we didn't know you know i I was I was kind of in a good place in in April and May and even into June and then July and August hit and I said, wait a this we might not have a season or this could be delayed. And, uh, and I just think, I think the NFL has done amazing when you think about, right, what the NBA did with a bubble and and the NHL did a bubble, baseball did a bubble for the postseason. That's almost impossible in the NFL, the number of people that you have involved in an NFL organization. You know, when you think about just the players, when you're talking about 53 on an active roster, another 10 to 15 on the practice squad, then you have all the trainers and everybody else, front office people, everybody that's involved. You're talking about hundreds of people per team and and to say that you could put everybody in one city, it's just not going to happen. So they took the approach of just strict testing, strict protocols uh, and, and, you know, we've we've played, I think, one less game to this to date, to to this season compared to last season. Some games have been moved around. And obviously right now. Right. What are, cases are spiking again? Who knows what the, the winter will 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 hold. But you got to you know, I just think it's been an amazing job that the NFL has done and the players, everybody. And hopefully we can get through the rest of the season and get the playoffs and, and the Super Bowl in without any you know major in, interference.
0: One, one big question that I I have on that subject, and we've talked about it a lot, um, you know, off the air and on our podcast is that that COVID list that they have, how familiar are you with that? And and can you kind of give just a quick overview if you do have an idea, because it's very, you don't have to test positive to be on it. But if you get context, so it's kind of a, a gray area.
1: Yeah, it is. And that's where, you know, you don't know if someone's on that COVID list, did they test positive or were they just in that close proximity to somebody that tested positive? What we do know, if you're on that list, somebody tested positive, right? And, right. and that's the contact tracing. So they've got, right, everybody's wearing a band. It, it it identifies when you're closer than six feet and it tracks it. So right now, and it feels like, right, you could, you could go on pro football talk or ESPN or whatever. And you're going to see, you know, Ravens COVID list, you know, Jaguars COVID list every day. We're seeing players added to it. It's a combination. I think one of those things, right. Once you go on that list, then you have to get tested. Um, You have to have a series of negative tests. Some, if they're asymptomatic, it's a number of days um, where, if they're asymptomatic, they can go play. It's, I don't know all the ins and outs. I it's, it seems like with testing and COVID, who knows what to believe, but sure. I just know that the NFL, you know, they're very strict on the testing. And when you're on that list, um, you know, it could be, like you said, it could be that a positive test or it could be a uh, you know, just because of the, the tracing, you know, we do it at Fox sports. I mean, I get tested twice a week. We've had, we've had positive tests where people, you know, they didn't test positive, but because you were in close proximity, um, you couldn't, you couldn't go into the studio. So I think everybody's dealing with it to some degree.
4: I mean, if it makes you feel any better, my entire fantasy football league team tested positive for COVID today, so none of them are going to play this week. And you, you just mentioned, you know, that you get tested twice, you know, twice a week. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how your how your day to day life has been affected and changed, and how you do your job has changed, you know, during a pandemic?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I I count myself very lucky, and I'm blessed, you know, that you know, I still get to do what I'm what I do for a living. And, and I know there are a lot of other people that that are impacted much, you know, much more than I've been. But for me, really, you know, one of the things that that and I guess it's a silver lining is, you know, we I work with the NCA and, and help, you know, coordinate the replay program and work with replay officials. And we normally have these in-person meetings. Well, obviously, all that got canceled. But right? What have we all learned throughout this ordeal is that we can connect with people via Zoom or whatever else it is. So, you know, I'm doing, I'm on Zoom calls every day with replay officials from around the country. Um, I'm able to work from home during the week. We're we're doing last call virtually on Zoom. And, uh, and, you know, and the only, the only difference for me is getting tested. And then when I'm in the studio, obviously, you know, wearing a mask, not as many people in the studio maintaining that social distance. So you, you adhere to the protocols. Uh, But for me, you know, and other than just staying home and staying in, uh, you know, uh, it hasn't changed drastically, which which I'm very thankful.
4: I, I wanted to kind of touch back on something that you mentioned. You did. We, we talked about your experience with the with the XFL. You were also part of the uh, was it the allegiance of American football as well, the yeah, league from last year. So it sounds to me like you believe there is room for another professional football league.
1: Yeah. Oh, no question. I, no question. I when I first started at the NFL, we had NFL Europe and and they were playing um, overseas and it was such a great training ground for players coaches officials just everybody and and I really feel like that development opportunity and and it's not you know you've seen other leagues right that try to say oh we're USFL or whatever it is we're going to compete with the NFL no one's going to compete with the NFL's right You play in the fall that's not going to happen but the spring and, and I think the XFL 2.0 proved it right that yeah. it was that you can have quality football, quality production, quality people, and, and people, you know, look, look, the ratings weren't, it wasn't like we were getting 10 million people a game, but you were doing just as well as, as a regular season baseball game or regular season hockey game or basketball game. And, and people were showing up and, you look at, right, look at the development. P.J. Walker just Walker.
0: Yeah, exactly. yeah.
1: won a game for the Panthers, and he was, you know, probably the MVP of the first five weeks for the XFL. If you look at just from an officiating perspective, um, the NFL hired in their initial go round before some officials opted out. I think they hired six new officials, five of those officiated in the XFL. Um, so, obviously, just there's room. There's definitely room. Um, the AAF was a great experience, too, U- ultimately, The the financing, the backing, the financial backing wasn't there. And uh, but I think with the right backing and the right people, and I think the XFL proved that and what I'm hopeful for. And I think, you know, talking, having had some preliminary conversations with the XFL people, they're not looking to reinvent the wheel. They know it worked and uh, and we don't need to make a lot of changes for uh, for a three point
4: yeah, what were your thoughts on the quality of the product? Because as a fan of as a pro wrestling fan, I did watch the XFL <laughs> the first one, right? And yes. it wasn't great. Like we had Tommy uh, Maddox, and we had He Hate Me. That's those are the two standouts. Sure. But when you when you talk about the games from from this past season, the, the drop off obviously it's there. Yeah. But the
1: quality of football was good. It, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a step up from the AAF the the previous year. Yep. I thought if you if you wanted to like to kind of compared to something. It was, it was just as good. Um, it, it was better than college football across the board. It was just as good as your top college football, even better. Cause again, you know, these are professionals. These are most of, most of the players had been on NFL rosters at some point, you know, practice squad, whatever it may be. So the quality was great. What was also great was the production, both Fox sports, ESPN, they put a lot into it when you watch a game and it's not like, I don't know who these announcers are. There were, you know, Kevin Burkhardt and Steve Levy and these people, you know, Greg McElroy that you see on their normal broadcast. Yeah. Um, that was a big, big deal. So the quality was, was great. And, uh, and again, and you're seeing that with players getting signed by the NFL and, and obviously PJ Walker being a highlight. And, and I think, I think there's, there's, Room for it. And I think there's there's players out there that look, are we going to see are we going to have another story like Kurt Warner? No, probably not. I think I think, you know, you're not going to you're not going to have somebody that just pops out of the arena league and becomes a Hall of Famer, but you're going to have good quality players that can stay on NFL rosters come from from the XFL. Yeah. And
2: I I think a big thing is, too, is like they actually have that opportunity to do that now. You know, it's like you look at a lot of leagues out there. We have the G League and the NBA. We have Triple A in baseball. And that's how I saw the XFL for the NFL is like they could really fit right into that niche. And I'll tell you what, I may not have watched many games live, but I was scrolling through YouTube every single time I saw an XFL highlight like video pop up. I was watching that 100 percent of the time. Because it was good football, and and there was great production involved, 100%. Yeah,
1: and no question. And people are going to get that when someone gets that opportunity. Um, who knows if, if PJ would be on the Panthers if it weren't for the XF. Right. right. I, I always go back to a guy I went to school with at, at Hofstra in New York, Wayne Corbett. I mean, Wayne, and, and he said it, you know, without a preseason this year, a lot of guys didn't get an opportunity. Wayne made the Jets. He was like the ninth receiver at the start of training camp. Made the Jets in preseason and um and had an unbelievable career, without an opportunity that never happens. And and the XFL can provide that for people.
2: One more one more Hofstra great, real quick, Miles Austin. Just throwing that out there.
0: It was a football factory, football factory. I'm telling you the the Hofstra pride. There's the Hofstra pride drop today. Uh, And Wayne Krebette really could have benefited from the player safety rules that are in place now, because we know, I mean, his career could have lasted even longer. Um, he was one of those guys on those jets teams that were, they were likable because he was just, he was that ninth guy. We've had a few guys like that in new England, you know, the Troy Browns, the Danny Woodheads of the world. So you mentioned from the XFL where Steve Levy basically parlayed that into a Monday night football gig. Um, you, you mentioned the, the officials that were hired into the NFL, something that you did while you were a big part of, while you were the VP of officiating with the NFL, was hire the first full time female official Sarah Thomas and um, you know, this has been such a big deal. And you mentioned the backlash that you get on Twitter. She's gotten backlash on Twitter. And I think one of the biggest things that I see with her is going through her um, her profile. And I, I saw that she officiated a game with a broken wrist in 2016, which blows my mind because I probably would be home on my couch with a bag of ice and some Percocets, <laughs> you know? But, but I, I look at a, 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 an official like her and I don't want to say a woman like her. I want to say an official like her because she has really staked... Her claim as a very good uh, line judge and now a down judge in the nFL what was that process like bringing her into the nfl
1: yeah and and that was one of the things you know when I came in and, and we we talk about diversity and inclusion right last night 's game was the first nFL game Phenomenal.
0: with an you know,
1: all black official you know officiating crew, which is an amazing an amazing accomplishment, but you know when I came in it was Um, We didn't obviously didn't have any female officials, but so we kind of start to look at the pipeline and say where where we know there are women out there officiating. Right. And we've got to give them an opportunity because imagine what officials go through. Right. They like we talked about earlier. There's no wins. Right. It's always a loss. So it's already a pretty crappy job. And then imagine being. The only one, the only woman, and there's no locker room, and there's no, right, There, there's the uniform fits differently. All these things you wouldn't even think of, you know, as a man. And and Sarah had her goal all along. She, and we talked about it. She didn't want to be, she didn't want to be known as the first female NFL official. She just wanted to be an NFL official, like, like, like the other 120 um, officials that we had. And she had worked her way up got started the same way all the guys did. And, and got to the point where for me, I, I didn't want to bring her in before she was ready because, because if she came in before she was ready and she, and it showed, then what are people going to say? Well, sure. Women can't officiate. Females can't do it. You know, blah, blah, blah. All the, all the, the dumb stuff that people say. So it was important to me that, you know when she's ready right then we're going to bring her in and and in 2015 she was ready and and we brought her in and my hope is that you know and I know when I've worked with we had we had female officials in the XFL and I've worked with a lot of them and my hope is that we can have you know another one in in four or five however so it's not a thing anymore right when you have a when you have a, an officiating crew with all minorities it's not a thing it's just that's just how it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. And, uh, and hopefully that, you know, that, that takes place sooner rather than,
0: uh, what a project that you're, that you've worked on as the senior executive producer is her turf, uh, which we we've all now watched the trailer to, And that's, I know is supposed to be released this year and everything you just said is something that all three of those women said in, in that promo for that documentary is, I don't want to be known as the, a, a female official. I don't want to be known as the best female official. I just want to be known as an official. Yeah. And, I, and, and that project, talk a little bit about that project. Cause we're, we're all really anticipating the release of that. Yeah.
1: It's, you know, that was something that I, I didn't even know it existed or was happening. And, and uh, someone that I'd known for a long time, Anise Kennedy, she was actually the first female official in the NCAA and she was a scout in the NFL and, uh, and niece had reached out to me and, and said, well, I want to introduce you to this, this person, Chantel Hansen. She's a filmmaker and she's working on a project that I think you'd be interested in. So she connected me and Chantelle, and we talked and she told me, yeah, I just, I met these, these female officials and I started following them and, and just, you know, went to a clinic and a couple of their, their, their personal lives and, uh, you know, I'd love for you to get involved. And, uh, and we just kind of hit it off. She, she showed me like some of the clips that she had already. This was, you know, wasn't a finished product yet. And I, and I just kind of felt, you know, drawn to it. And, uh, she's an amazing person, amazing filmmaker. And uh, we finished the project and, and it went, you know, it's gone through the film festival. I had never been, you know, I'd never been a part of any kind of executive producing. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> and, uh, and we just, uh, you know, we, we, we entered it in a bunch of film festivals and made it to a bunch of film festivals, won a bunch of awards. And uh, once we get through the film festival, once we kind of put that, you know, aside, then we'll release it. Um, and, uh, it was just an amazing experience and and it's really just a really cool film just to see these, these, these women and what they go through. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a pretty cool deal.
4: You just mentioned that beforehand, you did not know what executive producing meant, right?
1: I had no idea. So,
4: so, so, so what does it mean?
1: Um, it means that you're, you, you are responsible. You have, you have the, the oversight, you can make decisions you pay for a lot of stuff. Um, that's that's the other thing as an executive producer. But you do get you do get kind of final say on a lot of things. So it's a it's it's a pretty
0: good gig. That aligns exactly with what Craig, Craig does. does. I don't yeah, know if Craig you saw does. Craig's face during that, but <laughs> that's literally Craig's job description. Yeah, Craig is
1: the guy. Craig's the guy behind this whole operation. I can tell.
3: Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: We can't it's walk and chew gum at the same that's time that's without yeah. him. <laughs> only do about like 75% of the actual work.
4: You know, you talked about, um, you know, Sarah being the first female official, right? Based on, you know, what you saw and what you heard, how did the others welcome her into that, into that fraternity of being an official? Because it's tough, right?
1: Yeah, no, no question. Look, and there, there, there are some people that are just, and this is in any walk of life, that are just happy for someone's success, right? And they're just welcoming them in. And then there are others that that there's, there's, professional jealousy. There's people that will say, and probably still to this day, the only reason she got in the NFL is because she's female. Right. And, and to that, I say, you got to look at your own performance. You got to look at, right. She imagine, imagine being an NFL official, right. How hard that is and the scrutiny. And then now you're the first female official, right? right. Imagine what, what pressure she was under in, in her first year and is still under and and that's the thing. Like for the most part, overwhelming. The officiating community is is an amazing community. I've learned, and overwhelmingly positive. But there are like anything else, there are people that are gonna that are gonna gonna kind of be resentful of someone else's success and find reasons to try to tear them down. And that's unfortunate. But you know, Sarah's been amazing, and she's we still talk and text, and and she's doing an amazing job. Worked the playoff, worked the playoff game, you know, last year, and and. I think she's going to continue to have a great career.
4: Yeah, I think it's you know it's always awesome to have you know to uh, talk to someone like you who's done so much and 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 kind of reminisce about the past. But that move, Sarah, and and allowing you know or having a, a female official will be a, a, something that we talk about for years to come. You uh, that that impact that it will have on the game, on uh, officiating, and just on. You know, breaking down gender barriers, which should not exist anymore. Like you said, it shouldn't be a thing. That's just something that we were all, when we were talking about it, we really wanted to emphasize. And it, it's just, it's a really big deal to watch.
0: We saw this year, and I just wanted to throw this in there that, that there was a game this season where we had the, the first female coach on both sidelines and the first female official in the game. And again, you know, we talk about it that way now because we're five guys sitting here talking about officiating, right? But Mike's absolutely right. Uh, I, eventually, that's going to be the norm and and nobody's even going to bat an eye at it, but it was great to see that between, between the football team, the Browns uh, and, and Sarah on the, on the sideline uh, as the down judge. I mean, that was just such a great experience and a great moment.
1: And that's, and it's kind of the balance. And I remember having the conversation with Sarah, you know, when we first, you know, we were going to our first officiating clinic and there were going to be media there and everybody, when she, when we hired Sarah, everybody, and we're not talking about like, you know, the local newspaper, it was like, good morning America. And it was like all like big, big, um, you know, productions. And, and we had this conversation and I said, listen, I know you just want to be another NFL official and we'll get there right now. You're not right now. You know, the league, we're going to celebrate this a little bit because you, you are a role model and there, there are a lot of, you know, young girls out there that are going to see you and go, I didn't know I didn't know I could be a football official. Right. And we're going to have a whole, this is going to create, you know, a whole wave of, of young women that are going to, that are going to be interested in this. And, and then I said, I said, and don't worry, we'll get to the point where you're just another official and that's going to happen. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, we get to a point where, like I said earlier, it's not a thing, right. It's just, this is the
2: way it is. It's the Jackie Robinson effect.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. I think, so
4: I asked, you know, I kind of teased the fact that you were going to be on the show. So I asked everyone I knew, if there's one question that you could hypothetically have me ask Dean Blandino, what would it be? This is it. So I apologize. It's with all the technology we have. Why do we still use a pair of sticks and a chain to determine a first down from 80 feet away?
1: So it's a great question. And we have been, I was at the NFL, I mean, back in like 2005, we had people come in with laser technology and all this different thing. And, and I think ultimately, right. It's, there is a, there's a drama and, and an excitement to putting the ball down. It's it's fourth down. They just went for it. It's that close. And what's more exciting, just immediately knowing, all right, it's short or everybody waiting, the ball's down. The two old guys come out with the chains. They. <laughs> They stretch the chains, and it's short or not. I think there's a there's an excitement to that. Look, that's not the only reason. I think the the technology hasn't gotten to the point where you know you're talking about shooting a laser across the field. You know, there are a lot. There's a lot of uh, you know obstruction. The it's not as simple as in soccer the ball crossing the line, right? Where that's pretty simple. Where in football, well, when is the knee down? You know, right. when you step out of bounds, it's more layered. So I think the technology will eventually get there, but I, I kind of like the chains. You know, now I don't know who's is it Progressive or somebody's doing the commercial with the two guys. I like those commercials. So, just for <laughs> that along, it. it's
0: it's always the insurance companies that have the best commercials, and, and always isn't it? Always it's what they do with our money. I don't it's I don't know.
1: Like I I got I have Progressive because of the become your parents. <laughs> Like those, co- I love
2: those commercials. It's proof that marketing works, ladies and gentlemen.
1: It definitely works. <laughs> yeah, the, the Geico the Gecko got this me. Yes, it's marketing work.
2: It doesn't only get us, but it gets Dean Blandino too. It does. There, you
1: <laughs>
0: there you go. That that's the tagline for the entire episode, right there. So so going off of that, you you mentioned the the old guys coming out. The old, you know, they're they're measuring it, and then we get uh, and now he's retired, and his son is now a referee. But you get Ed Hockeyley flexing to tell us if it's first down or first down. The beach is that way, kind of thing. Um, I, I mentioned it at the beginning, uh, humanizing officiating and I think you do a great job of that just going through your Twitter um, seeing you respond to questions and I learned so much just going through it over the you know the past few weeks just seeing everything you have such a passion for the rules but also for the game of football if if you could if you could say like to us you know not not even our, our listeners but to us like one thing that could really Humanize officials and and the the rules side of the game. What would that be?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a it's such a big deal, and we always talked about that. We we tend to forget that officials are people, right? We tend to you know we sit on our couch or we go to a game, and uh, and we just kind of yell at them, and it trickles down. It trickles down. One of the things we always talk to our announcers about is just be mindful of even the language you use. You could disagree with a call. That's fine. But don't don't be disrespectful because people hear that. And then when they go watch their their kids play, then they treat the officials the same way. And a lot of those officials that are working, though, that level, they're kids, they're 15, 16 years old, and they have a bad experience and they don't want to do it again. So I think it's just remembering that that like in any profession, they're just people they're trying to do their best. Yes, they're, 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 they're highly trained. They're, they're well compensated at the NFL level. They're supposed to get the, you know, the the majority of the calls, Right. But just remember that, and I've said this before, if you watch a game on TV and you have, you know, four or five different angles and slow motion and all that, you go, Oh my God, how could that official miss it? Go watch the game on the sideline, right? Watch the game full speed on the sideline. And you come away going, I don't know how they get anything right. Like yeah. it's amazing that they're that right that much of the time. And uh, and it's such a big deal just making sure that we remember that they're, they're people too. and, and uh, and, you know, they're not just something that, that to be yelled at and stuff. It's you know. There, there's I
0: mean, there's been so many people in their home sitting on their couch drinking Coors Light, not a sponsor saying, damn you, Dean Blandino for years.
2: <laughs> so 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 partnering right off of that question, I have to ask of all the fan bases who sit on their couch and yell at you and tweet at you, who is the most irrational for when, for when that call bad call comes in, who do you hear from the most out of everyone?
3: That's
1: a good question. So obviously for me, Cowboys fans and I have a special, but they're not even like, we have a special relationship because of the desperate So they're going to give me, they're going to give me a lot of crap and and that that's fine. It's a give and take. We get it right. And, the but the really the one fan base, and it's a college fan base that they they are irrational. They don't, and I'll just come on. And if and if if my opinion doesn't go for their team, it's like I am a, I'm a war criminal, and, and it's Ohio State like Ohio, <laughs> Ohio State fans. And I'm like, your team is really good. Like, you've got, you're the best in the Big Ten. You're one of the best in the country. You're going to play for national championships. They are very, they're playing Rutgers. I'm like, you're playing Rutgers. (laughs) And they're MFing me on Twitter because I disagreed with a call. So, uh, you know, it's. I, I like to have fun with people on social media. I've only, I think I've probably only blocked like two people just because they were so annoying, <laughs> not because they said anything particularly, they were persistent. you know, bad. It was just like, okay, you got to stop like tweeting at me. Like, this is, this is because <laughs> I, was, yeah, they were very persistent or DMing me, like just reminders that they hate me. And I'm like, that's fine. Okay. Because really Noted. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Like the one guy I was like, I just, I was like, I love you too. Goodbye. Cause I do want to answer like legitimate questions and I can't like with all the, the, just the nonsense it's hard to sometimes.
0: How do you keep it straight <laughs> bef- between the NFL and the NCAA rule books? Because they're so different. And, and to that end, I mean, one rule that I've always kind of uh, thought should be a uniform rule is the one foot, two foot rule on a catch. Which way? Because I'm very curious on on your end of this. Which way do you think that should be one one foot or two?
1: Well, I think again, I like the way it is now because when you think about, and sometimes we forget with college football, the college football rules are going to apply to Ohio State and they're going to apply to Austin P. Right? They're going to apply to to every level of college football. So one foot, right? The athlete is not as good. Um, that's going to promote offense. That's going to be a good thing. When you get to the NFL, right, this is supposed to be the best of the best. You should be able to get both feet down. That's what makes it that much better. So, so I kind of like that, but it is, it is hard. And my foundation is all NFL rules. That's what I learned from 24 years old. So for me, the college rules are much harder to keep straight because I don't have that foundation and I work really hard just to try to keep keep up to speed with the college rules. And I still kind of just mess up sometimes because, you know, I'm always, I always go back. My fallback is always NFL. And then there are, like you said, there are a lot of differences.
4: That's a good answer. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great answer. Now I'm going to have that as my talk track. Whenever somebody says, why don't they change that role? Um, You also mentioned in your last kind of statement that, that you wanted to save your time for people who are asking serious questions. So in, in honoring that, my last question to you would be, if you were a wrestler, what would your gimmick be? And would you be a baby face or a heel?
1: Um, You know, I thought about this a lot. I love I, love, <laughs> I um,
2: love how that's how you started that. I have to say, my,
1: yeah, my, uh, you know, my 10 year old son is a big wrestling fan. We've obviously been lucky enough to go to a couple of shows. And uh, I here's I actually have a character that I want to pitch an actual Thing like I'm serious about this and I'm going to run this by you guys. Yeah, You're going to be my test. You're going to be my, my, my test. Okay. So I'm going to be a heel, but I'm going to play myself and I'm going to be the, the WWE is hiring a director of officiating. Okay. Oh, and so so- I am in charge of all the referees, but I'm completely crooked and I do uh, <laughs> and we overturn matches for the heels and I'm behind the room and I just like, like we'll go to a show in Dallas and I'll make, you know, I'll make fun of Des. Like I, that I legitimately want to be that person. And I think it could be, I think it has legs. Uh,
4: 100%. But, but the former owner of the XFL, I think he has a little bit to do with the wrestling product that's out there.
1: You know, I do know Vince and I have a line to Vince. So I am, I am going to pitch this at some point. We're as behind a, you. Yeah. As a, as a character.
2: Yeah. yeah we mean, tweet we'll, at us once that goes down and we will make <laughs> sure we spread that word so fast that you will be a hill before you know it.
1: Absolutely. Well,
4: well, obviously, you know, uh, Dean, thank you so much for, for taking the time before we let you go. I want you to, I want to give this, you know, give you a chance to tell people where they can find you and what they can, you know, if they want to learn any, everything and everything about Dean Blandino, where do they go?
1: Yeah. I mean, go, I mean, you mentioned Mike Prayer and I do a, a kind of a, a, a video podcast, if you will, on, on uh last call call last call you can find it on facebook um check out the fox sports uh page on twitter uh on twitter at dean blandino i've i've been i've had a podcast called good good calls we're in in kind of looking at tweaking that a little bit so we haven't been recording episodes lately but hopefully that'll be back but just check me out on twitter at dean blandino and i love i love legitimate questions if you want to give me a little crap that's fine too
4: Awesome. Well, Dean, again, thank you so much for, for taking the time. This is it has been awesome just kind of talking with you and, and kind of diving uh, through your history and kind of into your head about what's coming in the NFL, what's been happening. So for Broadway Joe Malkin, the real BK Bob Kelly, the best executive producer in the game, uh, Craig D'Alessandro, and our special guest, Dean Blandino, my name is Michael Marcangelo. We're signing off.
3: Thanks for listening to this episode of Missing the Point. Missing the Point is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports, with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, www.mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show, consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. For all of us here at Missing the Point, I'm Craig D'Alessandro. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Electricast. Electricast. electric, acid. electric acid.